Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Issues Program. I'm Phil, the Issues Guy, here from, well, IssuesProgram.com. I know I said issues like 17 times there, but I do have a lot of them, and I'm here this week to talk about a couple of problems and a couple of things that popped up. Usually I do, uh, usually I do do, usually I do this show live, either via Ustream or Google Hangout, but this week, because of some stuff going on, I felt like I wanted to make sure I got it out there, so I'm pre-recording. So if you're trying to call in right now, you can still do that at 781-990-8509 or email me at igetissuesman at gmail.com. If you do either of those things, if you're listening to anything I have to say and you have a comment on it, you can call, text, leave a message, write an email, do something, throw a rock through my window with something written on it. Whatever you want to do to get some comment into me about some of the crap I'm saying, please do it and join the conversation. So hi. Yeah, it's been a weird week, and a couple things have just popped into my mind this week. The first thing is about video game movies, and I know this is an overdone subject. Yeah, we know most video game movies are shitty, but there's been a a couple of okay ones in Wreck-It Ralph and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So is this heading in the right direction? Are we heading to the point where we might get an X-Men 2, a Spider-Man 2 that kind of changes the landscape of those kind of movies. Because let's let's take it back to superhero movies, because that's that's really my major topic that I want to address today. Superhero movies and how and what's happening with that nowadays and how it's led us to to kind of it being the thing in Hollywood. The two big blockbuster things that are happening in Hollywood is you're getting superhero movies and you're getting remakes of 80s and 70s franchises. And the 80s and 70s franchise remakes aren't doing too well. I'd say the best one in recent years was the 21 Jump Street one. But that did well because it was a comedy and kind of took a piss at it. Movies like... Movies like Total Recall or this new Robocop movie, I think hopefully audiences' reactions to these movies are telling studios to stop doing this, to at least be creative if you're repackaging something. Repackaging has been going on since the beginning of Hollywood, since the beginning of entertainment, people repackage stuff. But it usually was a little bit more creative than this, instead of just making like straight remakes of things. And I feel like they need to do that. They could have just made a movie and called it uh, Metal <laughs> Metal Officer instead of Robocop. And, and possibly it would have got a better reaction than this got. But, but that's neither here nor there. But video game movies I'm talking about, where you had movies that sort of transitioned it into being something that could be decent. I generally enjoyed Wreck-It Ralph, and I hope they make a sequel, and Mario is a huge part of the movie, as hinted as, which might lead into a Mario spinoff movie in the same way that the Minions got in uh, the other, that other franchise I'm blanking on the name, um, Despicable Me, I believe, and... And give a mar- and that's how we're going to lead into getting a Nintendo CG movie with Disney's help, not a Nintendo Disney partnership, but Disney and or Pixar artists working on a Nintendo digitally animated movie. I think I think that's the closest thing for my taste that we're going to get for a great video game movie. But then in the discussion, someone brings up Scott Pilgrim, which is something that I don't immediately think about when I'm trying to think about video game movies. I think about it more as a comic book movie. But if you really stop and think about it, the way the movie is presented is very much a video game movie. There's some lesser films that have done similar things like Video Game High School. You can watch it on Netflix. It's really horrible. But it's an interesting concept to have humans within a video game world of some kind. I I mean, I think it's an interesting idea that was obviously explored in movies like Tron and other types of movies. I do feel like Scott Pilgrim is very much a success, but I don't think it is a straight-up video game movie in the sense of what I think most people are talking about. And then someone else brought up a good point that I feel like is very relevant. The way games are these days and the medium that they're they're presenting and what you're getting, especially in some of the deeper story-driven games, not so much the pick-up-and-play fun ones. I'm talking about serious, deep 
gameplay-oriented games. And those type of games, you're getting as much content, sometimes even way more, than you're getting in a movie. It would almost seem like bastardizing it to make it into a movie or just completely redundant of doing the same thing over that you do in a video game up on the screen in a movie. I just don't think it needs to happen. It doesn't... I think you... Video games have gotten to the point where the visuals are right on par with movies and or right on par with cartoons. If you look at the new trailer for Mario Kart, I said this before, it looks like you're playing a Pixar game. Or if you look at some of the graphics for some PS4 or Xbox One games excuse me, that are coming out, it looks ridiculous. But where does that leave us in Hollywood? Which seems to be, for big blockbuster films, always looking for what that next big thing is. It used to be that for a long time it was big army movies, big soldier movies that were trying to go after movies like Glory or Saving Private Ryan later after that were the big blockbuster movies. And that for forever it was that was the go-to huge blockbuster. Superhero movies or fantasy movies were in the background. You couldn't get you could, George Lucas couldn't freaking get the Lord of the Rings greenlit, or other, many people had tried to get the Lord of the Rings greenlit in, in situations, or X-Men greenlit in the 80s, in the 70s, in the 90s, and so many people tried to get it to happen, and it just didn't happen. I'm so glad George Lucas didn't make that happen, and for two reasons. One, because I feel like Peter Jackson lives lives those movies and was the absolute right person to bring to bring that universe to life. And I do feel like what George Lucas did in response to getting refused being able to do The Lord of the Rings was was really good too. And probably one of the most underrated George Lucas movies in that's Willow, which is amazing. I, I love that movie. Great movie that basically, especially if you look at it and you think about it, is a complete Complete ripoff. And I think that's what George Lucas did really great. We talked about this on our last show with King Baby Duck in relationship to Blizzard Entertainment as video game developers is being able to take something someone else did and do it better and not be the innovator of it, but be the adjuster that makes that is able to do it better. Are, is Run DMC the greatest rap group of all time? Is Run the best rapper of all time? Or is someone like Tupac or Biggie the best because they took what those guys did and turned it into something completely different? I'm dating myself for the 90s hip-hop, but you know what I'm saying. Who are the greatest talent? I mean, a song or, I mean, it's a little bit more open when you're talking about movies in that sense, but you get what I'm saying. So video game movies have been right at this court. It seems like they want to make them successful, and now they've given up a little bit. But the question is, will there ever be a good one? I think the answer is in two parts. I think the first part is, there has been good ones. There's, for certain people. Some of them are okay. I think it's been the best way. Passable movies. But aside from that, I think Wreck-It Ralph, specifically Wreck-It Ralph, and I could see the argument for Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, that both those game both those movies are very good video game films very entertaining are successful at what they're trying to put out there and 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 I but both of them aren't really what people want when they say they want video game movies what they want when they want a good final fantasy movie or or this Warcraft movie that's coming out, people wanted a good one 10 years ago. Or people, I'm sure there's some people out there that are crazy enough to want Rockstar to make a movie and make a Grand Theft Auto movie. It's, or a Mass Effect movie in that universe, a sci-fi movie in that universe, things like that. A live action film like that, unless... Uh, I just don't see it happening. I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Is it impossible? No. Of course it's not impossible. And we'll get to that in a second where it is possible. What I do think is very close to happening, and I mentioned the path that I think it might happen, is if Mario can be very, very successful in a Wreck-It Ralph sequel, you could see a spin-off series 
like starring Mario in his world. You could act, and I think just in general, I think Nintendo, if they hire the right people, partnered with the right people, have a successful enough group of characters that they could do, they could do some sort of big animated universe thing with their like their version of a Wreck-It Ralph thing, in the sense that. Mario needs to go to all the worlds of Nintendo to get them all together to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, you know, the plot doesn't need to be ridiculously great. You can have you can have a very standard formulaic plot and still have a great movie. I think Toy Story 3 is that case. And I think Toy Stories, are, and I think Pixar in general, does occasionally have complex storylines. But if it's for kids, it just needs to be layered with with stuff that an older audience can appreciate, too. And not not pandering and not too much like current meta humor that's gonna date the film. And I and if you do that, you can make a successful kids movie. And I think that is the way that a video game movie will be successful, not necessarily live action. I think the live action thing is more difficult, especially with known franchises. I know Nintendo the best, so I'll talk about Nintendo. I don't think a successful mainstream Legend of Zelda film will ever happen. And I think too many people would be too afraid. You can't have a silent hero. I mean, you could. You could have everyone talking around him and have him be have an internal monologue, I guess, or have the uh, a Navi or whoever it is uh, speak for him or, you know, this is what's going on but and make it kind of a joke in the same way on Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Morn couldn't talk and it was a joke. Every, he could talk, but you never saw him talk. Do something like that, but I don't think that would be good. I don't think that would be funny. I don't think it would work. But but everything I'm saying now was said about superhero movies at a point in time. People thought the only successful superhero movie could have been Superman. And the Batman anim- the Batman animated series. The Batman 50s, 60s series, excuse me was so set in people's minds and superheroes couldn't be anything else. And yes, yes, Superman made it a little bit more mainstream, but the movie was still kind of cheesy and there wasn't a lot of reality to it and there wasn't a lot of scope to it. Great film, don't get me wrong. But then, like, Batman kind of changed things a little bit and people were like, oh, you can have a slightly more serious movie. And if you rewatch Batman now... I love that movie. Don't get me wrong. I'm highly entertained by that movie. It's a great watch. It's a good comic book feel kind of picture. But it's not so far away from 60s Batman as at the time the press would lead you to believe. I I enjoy Michael Keaton as Batman in the Batman suit. He's probably in the suit. Funny enough, my favorite looking Batman. I like the way the suit looks. I like the style. More importantly, I like the influence that it had on my favorite comic book interpretation ever in existence, and that's the Bruce Timm universe. So so if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have had that. And I think Nicholson, it isn't one of Nicholson's greatest acting jobs, but he's very entertaining as himself being the Joker. But I think if you compare it to Mark Hamill... Or, or Heath Ledger, it's, there's no comparison. And I think, in a sense, he was doing an homage to Cesar Romero. In some sense, he has a lot of Cesar Romero in his, in his, in his uh, Joker acting in that film. And I know it's like, oh, God. But Jack Nicholson is an amazing actor when he's pushed to be an actor. And he's a wonderfully, he can also do that other thing where your personality, you're, you're, you're an extension of your own personality, and you're really great at it and can fit into a movie. Andrew Dice Clay did that for a couple of 80s movies. I think it's Pretty in Pink he's in, and he also jumps up in, uh, in Casual Sex with Leah Thompson and Victoria Jackson. Just being the Dice Man, basically, and being himself in a movie. Rodney Dangerfield... Pretty much made a career of it. He, he acted a few times, like in Natural Born Killers and a couple other times, where he played things besides his own character. But someone like Nicholson is an amazing example. And I think Nicholson, De Niro, and Pacino... Uh, I, I just want to say Brando because his name goes with the rest. But Brando's different. 
But those those three guys were very good. And I think Brando, I guess, towards the end of his career, was able to do this as well. Figured out who the Marilyn Brando character was, an extension of The Godfather, and that's why you got movies like The Freshman or even the Island of Dr. Moreau, the character he plays. So so I, he'll fit, he could fit into the equation. But they're so good at acting, and they did such great acting in their life, they could also turn the switch and be just be a character, be the De Niro character, be the Pacino character. I mean, De Niro refused it the longest, and then post the analyze this success, and then uh, he's got a f- De Niro's almost got a few different De Niro characters. The real De Niro doesn't have enough personality. But but with Nicholson, if you hear him like real Nicholson, it's very close to the as good as it gets Nicholson. But he can also act. He can also add different layers to that person. So you don't just see Jack. You see it in movies like, oh God, what was that? Heartbreak or something like that and uh, Bridges Over Mass. Whatever the hell those two movies, those two sequels he was in uh, where he plays Heartburn and one of them's called, and I forget what the other one's called. Someone out there will know what the hell I'm talking about. Or in movies like Wolf, or in movies like Batman, or even... It, he kind of... Or As Good As It Gets is, the, is a huge example of it. He In the movie he was just in with uh, a couple of years ago with Diane Keaton, where he plays a, a writer. He plays a writer again. I'm blanking on movie titles. But he plays the... You know what I'm talking about. He plays the Jack character. But then in a movie like A Few Good Men, or Batman... He plays the Jack character, but he has different elements of their personality. You know, as in the Joker, he's a homicidal maniac. And in A Few Good Men, he has this military sense of honor and control, which makes him evil. And then the complete different level where he can do roles like Hoffa or some of his earlier roles where he changes into different characters. I don't want to demean Jack Nicholson's acting ability, but I do think... He brought a lot of himself into the Joker and didn't really under, take the time to understand who the Joker was. And I think a lot of that came in the script and the Dick Tracy-ness of the script and of the style of the movie. The very, I mean, it's a very pulp that it's sort of the Dick Tracy thing that, um, Dick Tracy's a little weird, but it's kind of a cross between Dick Tracy and the rest of the weirdness that Tim Burton sets up in his worlds. It is a unique film, and I do, I really do love it for what it is in the transitional period for superhero movies, but it isn't the classic, it doesn't have a lot of depth, it's not super dark. I remember going to see it with a friend of mine, and her, his mother was like, guys, this could be a very serious movie, this is a more serious Batman, are you sure you want to see this movie? You guys could go see the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie. No, not at the same time. But you get get what you're saying. Are you sure? Are you guys positive you want to go see this movie? Yeah, I'm positive I want to go see a movie. I'm going to go see Batman. But that Batman movie allowed people to see that superhero movies could be profitable. Uh, Allowed Hollywood to see that. Which ordered a whole new generation of superhero movies that weren't quite right, but they were working it. They were getting their the Daredevil... There was a whole slew of under-budget, not Daredevil's the one I pick, it's funny, but a movie like Wild Thing, or there was there was a lot of them that came out. You got Judge Dredd coming out not too long in that period I'm talking about, too. A lot of attempts. You sort of got success when the Blade movies came out. That was another, oh, okay, you can make a decent movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. But really what changed it is then X-Men came out and Spider-Man came out. Those two movies, those franchises started something different. And then with X-Men 2 and Spider-Man 2, they became really high-quality pictures. I think the first in both those uh, franchises were good, respective franchises were good, but the second movie is where they take the jump and then they fall on their ass in the third movie. But the second movie... In both those franchises, before pre the Dark Knight coming out and pre Christopher Nolan stepping up to the game, though, and and the Marvel thing happening, those two were, yeah, I know Spider Man's Marvel, but those movies are not made by Marvel. Oh, by the way, we also had the Fantastic Four movies in the mix there, which is going to be relevant to our second topic. But 
to me, the standard was set at Spider-Man 2 and X-Men 2. Those films were the best superhero movies you could you could possibly see, especially X-Men 2. I think that's almost a near, in threat to say perfect, I, I, think, I think it's a perfect superhero, entertaining, funny, action-packed, but interesting superhero storyline. Superhero movie going to that next next level, and and that's where I think video game movies need to strive to get to to that point. But then what happened with with uh, superhero movies or comic book movies? You transit. Oh, and I forgot to mention the '90s. You also had Ninja Turtles coming out and having a big impact on thinking that superhero movies could be a success. And what's funny is all of them had pretty good first movie, awesome first movies. And, uh, and in some cases, crappier second movies. I mean, with like Batman and and uh, the first two Superman movies were good. The first two movies were great in most of the franchises. And then that third one, they just dropped the ball. But in the more futuristic ones, the ones I was talking about, the second ones are the ones really that, to me, started to change things. And then you have people thinking that they can make money. And obviously you had the, the, bat, the superhero crash of the late 90s, early 2000s, when you had... Uh, all the threes coming out, especially the third, the third Batman movie, that, or excuse me, the fourth Batman movie, that just really slammed Batman into the ground. So then you had someone like Christopher Nolan stepping in and really working to change the fran- change the medium around with something like Bat- Batman Begins. Batman Begins was pretty good. It was really good. I find rewatching it after you watch the other two, it it has more of a connection. I think it works really well if you watch if if you watch Dark Knight on its own and you watch Batman Begins into uh, Dark Knight Rises. I mean, I do think a lot of stuff obviously gets set up in the Dark Knight, but I think those two movies are good parallel pieces with each other. But the second movie is just. On, it seems like a different universe, even though it's the same universe, but it's it's on its own. To me, the greatest superhero movie of all time, to the point that I rank it up there with some of my favorite dramas and, and thriller movies. And I think it's right there with all of them. And I think it's changed the, thi- changed the thing forever and showed how blockbusters could happen. And real blockbusters, how positive feedback from the media and, and critics could happen for superhero movies. And then you have the Marvel explosion, which kind of exploited and went after the other side of that. The side that I was talking about with the the other side of that. The side I was talking about with the X-Men and the Spider-Man movie. I think The Dark Knight created something completely different. That, to me, is... I guess the closest movie to approximate it would be Iron Man 3, maybe? But that's a different topic altogether. And then Marvel came out and has really turned into the blockbuster making blockbuster <laughs> blockbuster making machine that they are. And we're in an interesting age for video game movies. I and for comic book films, I mean. And my main thought of bringing all this up was the wonder whether video game films could ever reach this point. I think they could definitely reach the point of successful children's movies for in cartoons in that sense. I definitely think they could get to the point of making of making a success at that and aiming at the proper market that could be appreciate video game films. I think that vi- I think that adult-oriented games and games based at the 16 to 45 demographic. I know that's a big demographic, but because of the age of people growing up with video games, the age range of people playing video games is stretching out to the point that the people that are in their late 30s, early 30s to to early 50s are going to be playing games until their 80s and their 90s because they've been playing it for so long. It's so much a part of them. And, And I think that I I can't see video game films ever reaching the point where where they're needed and and I forgot my point I forgot my point that I was trying to make but I remember it now damn it it's that it's that 
the video games are so in-depth now and the storylines are so structured and there's so much characterization and choices you make and interaction that in a lot of the best video games, what makes the storyline great in your connection to the character is that you're making decisions as that character. That could just never happen in a film. It could never translate to a serious film unless you completely forget about it and and then it just becomes bullshit like that CG Final Fantasy movie that was decent, I guess, but it had nothing to do with Final Fantasy. I mean, you could make a successful movie and say, oh, this, this, uh, Lutario Orlando Bloom to play Link and then it's nothing to do with Link and nothing to do with any fights but then you then you fall the trap of running into like a Super Mario Brothers movie, which was shit. But but beyond it just being shit was it having nothing to do with Super Mario Brothers. And then if you run too close to the to the video games, it could never work unless you're playing in a comedy or a video game or a child's world. I think it might be able to work in a comedy if you pick the right superhero. Maybe a blank men type. Blank Man type movie featuring Wario. I, I keep going to Nintendo, but that's what I know best. But I, I could see people like Jack Black playing Wario and uh, be, has like a Tenacious D movie. Nintendo being like, hey, we got an idea. We got a crazy idea. How about Tenacious D does a Wario and, and Waluigi movie? And yeah, I like Waluigi. I don't care if he's if he wasn't made by Nintendo. I like the character. I think if there's a Wario, there should be a Waluigi. And... And, or something silly like that, where they're, where you never, something in the vein of Mystery Men with, with Luigi and Mario and Wario and War Luigi. I, I mean, I think something like that might work if you do some outrageously ridiculous casting. You have, uh, you know, you have somebody, some, some, some real smug guy playing Mario and Luigi, smug guys playing Mario and Luigi. And Princess Peach, and we really relate to our lesser knowns. Again, I'm kind of rewriting Record Ralph, but you get it. Something like that with Nintendo characters, I think, could be fun, even if done in live action. And make it look to what worked in, I know it's not the same thing, but a movie like 21 Jump Street again. If you're going to do something so ingrained in people's minds, or if someone remembers something or has certain views or perspectives, to really truly reach an audience and make it worthwhile for them you need to offer them something new something different about it and i think that's the case with video game movies if they even want to try to hope for them to be success in the future the next thing i'd like to talk about is actually star trek and nothing specific about star trek just we're we're where i realized i pronounced some words kind of really kooky and i think it's part of it is when i start to say the word if it doesn't come out right, instead of stopping and being like, what? I just keep going with the word. We here. But where's Star Trek going? Where does it go after Into the Darkness? There's been a lot of talk about a new series. How can they do a new series? Do they go back to the old timeline? Do they have a series spin-off from this timeline? They can't get the actors that are in the films to do a TV show. Christopher Pine's too big. Simon Pegg's too big. You're not going to get actors like that. Uh, I mean, you might get Zachary Quinto, but he's probably the only one. But what are you going to do with Star Trek? Where do you go with the franchise? There has been some talk about going back and doing a, a series with Worf. Or, again, doing a series set in the Abrams universe, but featuring a different crew. And to me, that seems a little weird and boring. It almost seems like what kind of what they're doing with the Marvel universe with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And... The reason why I don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I feel like there's no stakes. If I'm watching that Marvel Universe, I want to see the big guys. And I don't really care about the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Just like if I'm watching inside that universe, I want to follow the main characters. Could could they actually do anything more cerebral and and Star Trek-y with this universe? They've created a lot of weird things with... With Khan's blood being like Claire's blood from Heroes, and it can bring people back to the from the dead. I don't know how that works. I, I I just don't see. And then they have that transporter thing all over the universe. So why do you really need Starship? Uh, ah, my head's exploding with all the problems with this particular universe. It seems to me that you have to go back in time. I, I'm stealing this from somebody else, but I kind of wish they could do a third movie and have the third movie called uh, Spock Fixes Everything and somehow goes back in time and stops 
Nero from ever doing anything. And we go back to the other universe and it's right before the right before Voyager. And that never happens either. So Janeway's never an admiral. I don't know. I just don't see where this universe is going and where Star Trek can go next. And I think they did a good job of bringing a lot of new fans in. Do those fans go back and watch all the old series? And if they do, aren't they going to want to know what happens after that? You feel I feel like they need to progress forward. And that's what because that's what Star Trek always has been about, like pressing on, going, going, going to the future, space, the final frontier, all, all that stuff. So I'm I'm very curious where they go. I I think for my taste, what I would like to see again is is Spock to wake up and have all the events of Into Darkness be a dream. He was of uh, the the Abrams films, not just Into Darkness, be a dream he was having it, having while his Vulcan mind was going crazy as he was dying. In the same way that Sarek was dying in the episode Sarek on next generation something like that this was all in jr's mind and i'm convinced maybe it's the conspiracy theorist inside of me i'm convinced that jj wanted to take star trek out he went in because he always wanted to make star wars movies as it came off he ended up making making into darkness into a star wars movie i'm surprised there weren't lightsabers but he did get sword fighting in the first one so so I think he did it because whoever's in a studio now is going to come to a point, especially when the new Star Wars movies comes out, come out and be like, whoa, this is kind of like the same thing. Um, why do we need both of these? And because when it came down to it, it used to be about that you were, you were a Star Trek fan or you were a Star Wars fan. I mean, you could appreciate both, but you sort of connect, at least most of the Trekkers or Trekkies I knew, there was something special about Star Trek that made them not want to watch space opera and silliness. And I know some Star Wars fans have contempt for Star Trek. Or they used to. But I saw the J.J. movies. I kind of like those. Well, I'm a doofus. Now, I like both. I really do. I think the, the structure of the Star Wars universe is very interesting in the sense of the powers and all the history and all that. It's all foreign. It's, it's very... It's very unique. But I do think in in display, not in books, not in video games, which aren't necessarily canon or it doesn't even matter. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the main examples, the movies. And I think they do a better job in the TV series of this, of, in a kid's TV show, than they do in the movies of, of creating depth and store, like, like really important story. In the, even in the original trilogy, it's very point A to point B. A lot of stuff, you know, stuff happens and they run. Stuff happens and they go to the next place. Blah, blah, blah. A lot of cool stuff's going on around them, but there isn't deep, interesting stories. There isn't an, like a, a theme of, of how age affects you and how you have to redefine your own limits, like, like in Star Trek II. And, and how when you're faced with your deepest fears, how... The best of you comes out and you don't rescind back or or in Star Trek six about being obsolete and having to change with the times. I mean, I could do it with each Star Trek movie and point out what the theme was and what the storyline they were trying to do. Are they always in like next generation? It's episode to episode or in Deep Space Nine overall deep arcs. And I mean, in some cases, I could say they lack in charisma and and entertainment value for the blue blash blue blue you know of stuff to watch sometimes star trek can be very again cerebral very very toned down the intensity can come in a conversation a word something somebody says it's not amazing lightsaber battle with uh with luke and luke and vader at the end of return of the jedi and how vader turns on the emperor and throws him down you know it's action happens when you come comes down to it all the in-depth story stuff that you get in Star Wars comes from the prequel movies, and it's all shit. Shit, I tell yous. Shit. So, so what is in the future of Star Trek? It's, it's tough to say. I think there will definitely be a third movie. This is where I think it gets a little weird. Is J.J. Abrams going to be going to be working on both films at once? Is he going to be working... Is he going to be making the Star Wars movies and then going back and making the Star Trek movie, going back and forth here? Or is he going to license out the Star Trek 
franchise to one of his underlings or somebody to to work on the Star Trek franchise? Or is it time to find a different person to take control of Star Trek and figure out a way to end this trilogy because everything's in trilogies these days and then lead into some sort of television series, which is the place where I think Star Trek works at its best. So we shall see. We shall see where Star Trek goes from here. And where I'll go from here is a connection to kind of both things I was talking about. Reboots, things like that. Today they announced the casting and officially announced the reboot of uh, the Fantastic Four movie. Now, Fantastic Four is one of those franchises that, that is a Marvel franchise similar to Spider-Man and X-Men, but but Marvel doesn't own the rights to them. It's like when Michael Jackson, when Paul McCartney had to ask Michael Jackson if he could perform one of his old Beatles songs because Michael owned all the rights. It's similar to that. And so if like the Fantastic Four, if they wanted to put the Fantastic Four in an, an Avengers movie or Spider-Man in an Avengers movie, they'd have to license it out through, I want to say it's Sony, but... I don't know. I mean, I know I'm pre-recording. I could totally go back and look right now, but it doesn't matter who the company is. Pretty sure it's Sony. So, so the Fantastic Four movies came out. The first movie was shit, and the second movie to me is even worse. Some really poor casting decisions back in those movies, especially with Doctor Doom and Sue Storm. Captain America was was uh, Johnny Storm. Funny enough. And, and I think he was all right, but I don't think he was right for, for that character. I don't think he was funny enough for that character, to be honest with you. But I think the one thing that worked in those movies was Michael Chiklis as the thing. I think that worked out. <laughs> I think that worked out really well. I think he was actually an inspired pick for the part of the thing. So they announced today uh, the new Fantastic Four m- movie and who's being cast in it. And... The internet's blown up a little bit because they cast someone of uh, African-American descent. They cast a black man as Johnny Storm, and everyone's freaking out. Oh, my God. I mean, give me a break. To me, I don't care if the person's purple, green, yellow, orange, uh, a shade of teal, white, or black, as long as the character's written great and performed well. And people, oh, wait, characters are written. But back in the day... (laughs) the shitty day when there was racism was uh, evident. All these characters and all the main characters and everything was written to be white for a reason. Because they were written by white men in a very racist world. So that was the case. But when it comes down to the casting, shouldn't the best actor get the part? Not based on anything to do with, with racial anything? I don't know. At least that's how I feel about it. But this brings up a more important issue. Do I think it's the right casting? I don't know. And this is my problem with this movie. I don't think... This movie just stinks to me of... Because there's a certain deal with Sony or a certain deal with the people that have rights to the Marvel properties that if they don't make movies by certain dates and certain projects don't come out by certain dates, then the rights either go up to market for bid or they res- or revert right back to Marvel. And especially the Fantastic Four, the Marvel has really been hoping they can get that franchise back because it's very important. It's a franchise that's very important to Stan Lee and very important to a lot of the people in Marvel because of what they represented at the time that they came out, the comics came out. And this movie just swoops in and I just have... I really don't like the casting of Reed Richards. I feel like they, I feel like it's a, again, I feel like he's the mistake here. The Sue Storm, I don't like her casting either. And I don't like the casting of The Thing. I think Michael Chiklis is The Thing. They're obviously doing a younger take on this. And the, the Johnny Storm thing doesn't bother me either. What bothers me about this movie is going to be the script, the story, and how it's presented. I already know that this movie is going to be shit. I, I don't need to see this to know that this movie is going to be a horrible piece of crap movie. I just, I, I feel it in my heart. I feel it inside my damn soul. <clears throat> and that's the thing. That it doesn't matter. All this stuff's moot. Because I don't care. I Cast freaking Denzel Washington as Superman if he'd do a good part. I don't care. 
I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Color doesn't matter in performance. Uh, it depends why you're casting. And that's the thing. Some people cast based on appearance. If I'm in movies or plays I've directed, if I'm doing the, ca- doing the casting, I cast based on the performance. Who gives me the best performance? Are there some characters that should be, because of story reasons, certain from certain racial backgrounds or certain sex backgrounds? Yes. But in some cases, in like superhero movies or in things like this that are happening, it doesn't really matter. We can update the stories. Harvey Dent's been black than white than black than white in a couple of cases in Batman. It depends depends the situation, the right situation. It's it's who gets cast in the right part. And in in some cases, it's good to be able to open up your casting to anybody, to to someone of Indian descent. Like I said, purple, yellow, whatever. Because ultimately, if we go back to the early casting and, and things like Shakespeare and stuff, when when all the characters were men, or where all the actors were men, even playing the female parts because females weren't allowed to be in the same level and it was ridiculous and stupid and someone needed to stand up and just change shit. And in some cases that needs to happen now with with casting or it needed to happen in respect to the when a lot of these characters were created in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And in the cases when they've been cast or when they've been founded, they need to... They need, they need to show they need to show what this world really is, which is just an all big mixing pot of everything. People are, oh, well, Star- Johnny Storm and Sue Storm are brother and sister, but one's black, one's white. How do you how do you explain that? I don't know. Maybe their parents got married and uh, they had kids before. Maybe they're in an interracial family. Maybe one of them's adopted. I mean, who knows? We don't live in 1950 anymore, and this movie, I'm pretty sure, isn't set there. You know, I can't wait. I I hope I survive to the point where everyone's just gray, where everyone's just fucked everybody. It's part of my language where we all start just having sex and we all breed and we all become the same color. Like gray. (laughs) Because we're all the damn same. This is one of those things that I'm not getting up on a high horse here because I have prejudices. I think we all do. Everyone's a little bit prejudiced. No freaking doubt about racism or sexism or or even sexual orientationism, whatever they want to call that, just never occurred to me. Growing up, it never made sense. I was so I was I was very ignorant to racism being a thing or people hating you because of your religion. I've told this story on before. I was walking with a friend who wasn't ignorant to all that. He was very aware of it. He was a very smart young kid when I was a doofus dummy. I mean, I'm still a doofus dummy, but I was specifically a doofus dummy back then. A very innocent, oh, God. A little Paddington bear walking around the world thinking the world's a wonderful, happy place. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Completely ignorant. Oh, yes, I make cocaine deliveries for my family. It doesn't matter. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Whatever. It was it was really fuck it was a messed up situation. But my friend of mine was a little bit more worldly and understood things. He would do things like eat dog biscuits, of course. But when someone rolled down their window and I was wearing my Star David and they yelled out the window, Are you Jewish? I didn't think twice about going right up to the window and being like, Of course I am. Shabbat shalom, you know, or something stupid like that that I said. And the guy in the car flicked a penny at my head and goes, That's what you're fucking worth and drove off laughing. And then I just stood there confused while my friend Monty, who wasn't a Jew, threw rocks at his car as he drove away. So, I mean, I'm, I was unaware of it, that it even existed. I was unaware that when I, when I would um, threat to say this because I don't want... There was a girl at my school that was, a, that was a black girl, and I was very interested in her. And me and her got very close in the coat room a couple of times. And it turned into a big thing at the school. Big weirdo. like, And I didn't get it. I was like, why would it be okay if I got into the coat room with Jamie but not with with Shay? I mean, why is one okay and one's not? I don't get it. I, I don't understand. I, And I'm not like... I'm saying this because now it's, I realize how you know how ignorant or naive I was. I think it's a better word than ignorant. But it was just the foundation of, and, and I don't think it was any any case of anything great that my mother and grandmother did raising me. I think they had their core 
of that era racism, but the racism came in very weird ways. Like, like we had somebody that would come to the house and, and, uh, and, and fixed our electronic equipment or something and be clean and do a couple other stuff. And his name was Glenn. He was a really great guy. We'd invite him to like family gatherings and all sorts of stuff. And we invited him to, uh, to one of our Jewish holidays. And my grandmother cooked this thing called Simis. That's like gross. It has yams and all this other stuff. And he couldn't get enough. He's eating Simis. And then later that night, she's on the phone with her sister talking on the phone being, yeah, we had a great holiday, great holiday. And Glenn came over, brought his whole family. Glenn is so nice. Can you believe how nice he is? You know, I mean, there's like slight tone of racism there. Like, can you believe how nice he is? Why wouldn't you think he was nice? But, I mean, he's just a, such a great guy. Oh, and I gave him, he could, he wanted some Simmus to take home. I gave him the Simmus. And, you know, you know I, I didn't know black people liked yams. You know, I didn't know that. <laughs> and I'm like, Nana, that's racist. She's like, I, what? I gave him plenty of yams. You know, so, so I mean, you laugh. Ha ha, old people racism is funny. I mean, she didn't, she, she didn't see it like that because... She was an old woman, and she didn't see it like that. To her, she was being, like, amazed that anyone would have a... Pro- she was saying it as such, like, a... Like, he's a proud member of his race, you know? Like, kind of saying it like that. And, you know, it's it's a different kind of thing. So I'm not going to say I was grazed in a completely unracist environment. I was definitely... There were some attitudes. My mother would say things to me, like, like after that situation I was talking about getting caught in the closet at at a school with a, with, with a black girl, I uh, would say things like, you know, Philip, I don't mind you dating a black girl, but don't ever have a child with one. And I was like, whoa, wait, wait, racism, ding, 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 beep, 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 what the hell? You know, what the hell is that, ma? And she was like, I just don't want you to have to, I just don't want my granddaughter to have a hard upbringing. And I'm like, do you realize how racist that is? That's not racist. That's blah, 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 you know? So... So we lived in an interesting world where these these things were, God, things that seem so diff seem so ridiculous and almost horrible and sensitive wrong these days because because in some cases I like that we're a little bit more PC about some things but I think it gets carried away and sometimes we can be way too uptight where people can't even make jokes about things that are obvious jokes in situations like that. But I understand it because it used to be so, and there's different things now that are that I associate to this. But in the 70s, 80s, especially the 80s and the 90s, it, half of the 90s, the the first half of the 90s, and all of the 80s, the racism was there, but it was so veiled with things like that, like like oh I I love black I'll always have them in my house I can come to dinner but don't marry one and you can marry one and date one but don't have kids what I mean it was veiled I mean in some cases but still there and that's why I think this is important in the sense that I applaud Sony if they were casting for the best part and if they wrote a good part if if this movie is shit, I'll call it shit. If he does a horrible job in the part of Johnny Storm, I will say he did a horrible part in the Johnny as Johnny Storm, but not because of his color. And that's what I think we need to be careful of too. Over, I think people overcorrect because they don't want to come off as a certain way. It'd be like in that whole conversation. Like I'd be over, I'd be like, I don't want to say anything what I just said because I'm afraid some real racism might seep out. And I think that happens a lot where people keep their mouth shut or they say nothing or they're afraid to argue or afraid to criticize or afraid to do this, that, and another thing because they're afraid some rogue racism inside or prejudice inside is going to come out. I think, and it's because of people being afraid because everything lives on, quote unquote, lives on forever these days. Huh. Well, this has been a pretty packed show with some issues and some problems. I just wanted to kind of get on here and get a, get off what was on my mind this week. Not get into kind of silly news, but I had a couple of specific thoughts on my mind that I wanted to get across. So, so occasionally I will be doing pre-recorded 
issues programs. I've done them in the past, so to fit into my schedule, especially as the summer gets close. A little bit of uh, housekeeping stuff. I will be away for two weeks in March, so I will not be around for, for issues program or Couchmaster stuff. So I will keep you more posted of that, but it will be the mid two weeks in March. I will be in Puerto Rico and Canada, respectively. So I apologize for that. Maybe I might be able to remotely join in on a Couchmaster podcast or record something, but I'm not sure how much equipment I want to bring on these trips. So I might not really have anything, and I might just be communicating with you lovely people via the messages online. If I even do that, I mean, when I'm in Puerto Rico, I might literally just sleep on the beach all day long, drinking constantly and gambling. So so I might not be in any shape. I'm, I'm, I'm building up more and more issues, if you know what I mean. <laughs> But everybody, this has been the Issues Program. I'm Phil. Thank you for tuning in. You can check me out at issuesprogram.com where you can check out all podcasts and news articles and links to videos and stuff. Also check out my friends at the Boston Bath Brigade and the Land of Ash and Geek Argo and my other project. Check out the Couch Masters. I still don't have the website offhand right now, but it's linked to our Twitter page if you, if you add couch underscore masters and you add us that way, you'll be able to find the link to our website. We're also part of secondopinionpod.com, so you can check out our podcasts there as well. We do a lot of Twitch streaming and get some YouTube videos, so search The Couchmasters on YouTube. Uh, the first of all of the old one versus ones are coming out there, and each one will be up every couple of days on the page, so go check out the Couchmaster YouTube page for all that fun stuff. Check out my YouTube page for... And I'll link them to the website soon for my Breaking Bad, not my Breaking Bad, I keep calling it Breaking Bad, my Walking Dead post-episode recaps, and there'll be more and more of those coming up. And I might do a crossover one with John C. Riley coming up in April for Game of Thrones for both uh, Issues Program and the Couchmasters website. So yeah, and also, also add us on the Twitch page, the underscore Couchmasters. I will be, tw- I will be, uh, I stream from there mostly on Fridays, but you can watch all the past videos and I'll pop up occasionally here and there on other days but as always myself john c Riley, or d ray doing some sort of streaming from that page so please check it out there and as always you can call me at 781-990-8509 in text or leave me a message about anything you want to talk about on the show or if you want to be a part of the show you can ask me that way as well or email me at i thank you everybody have a good week Get ready to get your nerd on. Kick the week off right with games, gadgets, and general geekery from the ladies of the Electric Sisterhood. On Tuesdays, get your pop culture news and reviews with a pure Bostonian perspective on the Boston Bastard Brigade. Geek Agro is coming at you on Wednesdays to fill what's left of your cerebral cortex with the hottest beats to get you on your feet. Then on Thursdays, you have me, Phil the Issues Guy, presenting the live issues program. It's going down each week only in the land of Ash. Nerdcore at its finest.